Thank you, choir and orchestra, and a great song for us to reflect on as we come to the conclusion of our series in the book of Proverbs. And the theme of the book of Proverbs, of course, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we're going to, in some ways, end where we began in this series which, uh, by returning uh, to that verse that gets repeated in chapter 9. Uh, um, when my family was in New Orleans uh, earlier this summer for the Southern Baptist Convention, we began our uh, trip there with a jazz brunch in the uh, French Quarter. But my kids uh, were ready to leave the French Quarter as soon as we arrived. It just was not their favorite place to be. They didn't love the sights, the sounds, the smells of the French Quarter. So they were ready to go. And I thought that after we finished lunch, we would, or brunch, we would wander around, listen to live jazz music, you know, um, uh, go through some of the parks that are there, maybe have some beignets in the French Quarter. But they were ready to go. And I decided I've got to uh, do what my wife and my children want to do in this moment. And so I uh, came up with another plan and we hopped in uh, the rental car and drove to the Garden District. Now the Garden District is a pretty spectacular place to visit. Of course it's uh, the opposite I guess of the French Quarter. It's a uh, residential area with uh, homes and streets that would probably remind you of Charleston, somewhere south of Broad. I mean, just these gorgeous, stately homes, uh, incredible streets, stone walls, um, the wrought iron uh, gates there. It's just gorgeous, and you can almost uh, feel the history when you're walking around that area. Um, As a matter of fact, you stroll down uh, one of those streets, and you can almost hear the garden parties that took place there. You can almost, uh, you know, feel the uh, or smell the aromas of these incredible banquets and just uh, these important people and wonderful times that were had there in this part of the country. Um, the historic streets are just lined with homes built for entertainment, designed to impress. Well, when we come to Proverbs chapter nine, Solomon seems to sit us down right in the middle of one of those gorgeous streets of. Um, the, French, uh, the Garden District in New Orleans. Uh, what we find on opposite sides of the street are two homes that are attracting everyone's attention. And one of those homes rises up higher than the rest of the homes on the street. It's stately, it's um, well-appointed, it has this palatial entryway with these incredible uh, marble columns that just um, uh, it makes it the crown jewel of the block. And you, it would, you would do anything to be able to enter this home, to be able to rub shoulders with the people that are there, to take in the beauty and the history that's found in this stately home. Uh, the aromas that come out from this home are, you know, make it clear to everyone who's passing by that only the finest food is being served. And you notice on this particular day, there's a banquet taking place here, and you would do anything to enter. And all of a sudden, you hear from the front door uh, the host, the hostess, Lady Wisdom, standing there and calling aloud to everybody who would pass her by to turn down the driveway, to enter in, to come and sit down at the banquet. Be my guest. You're welcome. Come on in. And so that's what we see on one side of the street. But on the opposite corner is another home in Proverbs 9. It's, it's definitely not like the stately home that we find where Lady Wisdom resides. But it's still a home that everybody's attracted to. The garden parties at this home are not like the ones across the street, but it's still designed to satisfy certain appetites. The event is not nearly as respectable as the one across the street, but the crowds still show up. There's a certain kind of pleasure uh, that's found by um, attending 
or being a guest in this home. And on this particular day, there's this loud, noticeable woman standing at the door calling to everyone passing by, almost in competition with the woman across the street saying, come on in, turn in here. We've got a place for you here. And so the big question that we're going to deal with as we come to the conclusion of the series is, which way will will we turn? Which way will we turn? Which invitation will we accept? And the answer is really easy in theory, isn't it? You can say, well, we know what the answer is. We know what we should do. We know what we want to do, right? But knowing is not the same as doing. Just because we know what is best and right doesn't mean we do what is best and right in any given moment. In fact, if I'm honest this morning, and I will be, on any day I can slip back and forth between that house on this street and the house on the opposite corner. I know what is best and I know what is good for me, but I still find myself drawn to the loud, boisterous voice calling to me from across the street to throw caution to the wind, to do what feels good. Don't think about consequences. Think about yourself. Take care of yourself. Because like you, I was born with a bias toward folly. That's kind of what I'm bent towards, is towards folly. Theologians call that original sin. Our flesh is weak. Loves to, I love to fly off the handle um, at the drop of a hat. I love to hold grudges. I love to waste resources, to not really consider consequences as I decide what I want to do in any given moment, the pleasures that I want to experience, the appetites that I want to satisfy. That's just who I am, if I'm honest with you. I'm complicated. And what is easy in theory, knowing that I should visit the house of wisdom, right, is never easy in practice. So I can preach the message, I can read the text, and I can realize that's where I should go, but I am always drawn in this direction. What you find when you study the scriptures is reality. Solomon knew from his own experience the allure of that house of folly. He knew the consequences for going there, and he knew what it was like to be a young man venturing out into life And making decisions based on what feels right in the moment. That's why he writes Proverbs 1 through 9. His son's coming of age. He's about to wander down the same road of life that Solomon wandered down. He's about to uh, deal with the same um, decisions. uh, But he's got to decide for himself what he's going to do. And Solomon is the wisest man to have ever lived besides the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's putting pen to paper in order to help guide his son. To say, based on my experience, from all that I know, what I can see, what I understand and discern from uh, my experiences in life and from the blessings that God's given me, this is how you should live. Well, when we turn to the book of Proverbs this morning, we're not just going to be reading words from some king to his son uh, from several thousand years ago venturing out into life. What we're going to find in Proverbs 9 is God's words written to you. Words that are true. Words that are right. Words that are good. God desires for you to walk in wisdom. So he's preserved these words for you to guide you and strengthen you. So as we turn to Proverbs 9, let's remind ourselves we are all standing right now poised on the road of life with Lady Wisdom and Madam Folly both calling to us from opposite sides of the street. And the real us, not me in theory, 
Not me who I would like to present to you as I am. Not me just on my best moment, but the real me is walking down that street. And the words we're going to study this morning are written to you in love from a great and glorious God who looks on you as a beloved child. And he wants to help you. He wants to speak into your life. He wants to help you avoid the train wreck. He's got your best in mind, and that's where he's writing to us. That's the way that he is writing to us. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in chapter 9 this morning. As I said, we're concluding our series this morning. It's not because Proverbs ends with chapter 9. It goes on for several more chapters, but it ends the first part of the book of Proverbs. Um, As you probably know, uh, the book of Proverbs is primarily filled with these pithy, wise, memorable statements uh, to kind of help in uh, different instances in life. But the first nine chapters are really an introduction to that. That's the rest of the book for the most part. And it's written as an introduction, and there are longer discourses on wisdom. So that's the part that we've been focused on this series, and that's uh, what we're going to wrap up with um, today as we conclude this series. The last long discourse from the voice of wisdom in Proverbs. So look with me, Proverbs chapter 9, and we're going to read the whole chapter this morning, verses 1 through 18. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, come, eat my food and drink of the wine I've mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you're wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman of folly is boisterous. She's naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you in worship. And we thank you for the good gift of your word that is true, that is right, that is good. And Lord, now as we incline our ear to your word and to your spirit as you speak to us, Father, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice and follow as you guide us, as you shepherd us. Lord, I pray that you would speak in spite of me so that you might meet with your people. Point us all to the cross of Christ today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. There are two competing invitations given in this chapter. Um, Will you accept the invitation to wisdom's party or will you accept the invitation to follies? And if you accept wisdom's invitation, the text says you'll be made wise and you'll receive true life 
forever. But to reject wisdom is to accept folly's invitation, which leads not only to foolish living, but it also leads to a wrecked life that will ultimately perish. So the point of the message for us this morning is that wisdom demands a decision. And it is an either-or decision. It's either this way or that way. There's no third option. So will you choose this day to listen to the voice of wisdom, which we know is the voice of Jesus, or will you reject him? The message is choose wisdom. Choose Jesus today. Now, there are three paragraphs of six verses each in uh, chapter 9. The first and the third mirror each other. Uh, They um, are... Um, <clears throat> both contain the invitations, one from wisdom, one from folly. And then in the middle of the uh, chapter, we uh, find this um, kind of discourse or this explanation. It's really one of those pithy, wise statements about why the scoffer is rejected from wisdom's banquet. So we're going to look at all three of these parts together. First, wisdom's banquet, rejection of scoffers, and then folly's banquet. So let's begin with wisdom's banquet in verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 tells us wisdom builds her house. Now, I I think it's just important to point out that's a contrast to what we find later about Folly's house. Um, There's no indication that Folly did anything. But wisdom has hewn out the seven pillars of this house. Now, there's probably some sort of um, uh, allusion here or uh, symbolism here in the number seven uh, towards perfection or towards the days of creation. But I think... In addition to that, it also indicates for us that this is a large home. This is a palatial home. It sounds a bit like a temple. It's got seven, you know, glorious columns coming up in front of it. And so wisdom has not just been productive hewning out these columns that are standing in front of this home. She's been preparing a feast. If you read the text in the Hebrew, um, it says she slaughtered the beast. She's prepared the meal. Uh, she's mixed the wine, which means put um, uh, spices in with the wine. So it's no junk food at this party. This is a true banquet. This is the, 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 the event of the year. You don't want to miss it. Wisdom has set the table. And we find here in chapter 9, it's a good table. And it is ready for you. Ray Ortland Jr. points out that this table wisdom prepares um, satisfies every area of life. It's not just a good table where you can feel good about yourself because you've done the right thing. It takes care of you in your life. It puts you in good places and in good experiences. As a matter of fact, we have seen the goodness of the result of uh, listening to wisdom in chapters 1 through 8 so far. In chapter 1, wisdom we see protects us from the evil one. It says, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. So when you listen to wisdom, you avoid the evil one. In Proverbs 2, we find that when one lends their ear towards wisdom, and wisdom enters their heart, wisdom brings with her peace. She brings with her every pleasant thing. So there is something good that comes out of this yieldedness to wisdom. Proverbs 3. We see wisdom brings financial blessing. It takes care of you in material ways. And on and on we see, chapter 4, chapter 5, all the way through, the table that wisdom sets is one that is pleasing to every area of life. It's beneficial to you to pull yourself up to this table, not just to feel good or not just to say, I've sat down in the right place, I know it's what I'm supposed to do. You find blessing at this table in every area of your life. So table set, banquet's ready, wisdom sends out her maidens, go invite, tell them to come and dine. And then uh, what we find really in Proverbs, it's a book of wisdom, 
Uh, there are several books of wisdom in the Old Testament. And, but just like the book of Psalms, another book of wisdom, it's poetic. And Solomon has this poetic discourse here where he writes about an attractive lady he calls wisdom. But if we take the whole account of Scripture together, it becomes very clear to us this is a picture of Jesus. He is a wealthy and wise friend who has thought of everything uh, we need, and he's provided it in full, and he said, come and pull yourself a chair up to this table. I want to remind you today, as we turn to the Word of God, that the greatest expert in the universe on you is Jesus. The greatest expert on your life in the universe is Jesus. He's not some idealist who is completely out of touch with reality. He understands reality in ways we could never comprehend. He has his mind fully wrapped around truth because he is truth. So he knows best the path that you desire to have and how you can actually build a life that matters, that brings you pleasure, that cares for you all the way to the very end. And he is better at building a good life than you ever will be. So this is a gracious thing that Jesus has invited us to the table. He invites us there today. So the invitation that is extended in verse 4, I want you to notice, the very first word of verse 4, it says, is to whoever. Now, I don't know how you perceive the Lord, but I imagine that some people would think the only people invited to Jesus' table would be the spiritual elites. It would be the people who've got it all put together. It would be the do-gooders, right? The uh, most meek, the most mild, uh, the most humble. That's who's invited. But the message that we find here in the text is it is to whoever. In other words, everybody's welcome. And his understanding of everybody is very informed. It's not just like one of those things where you say, well, everybody's invited. It's like, well, do you know about such and such? Oh, I didn't think about that. He knows. In fact, he says... Whoever is naive, he says um, here in the text, to him who lacks understanding, he recognizes that those he's inviting are not perfect. He's fully aware nobody's perfect. So Jesus issues an invitation. Everybody's welcome to come. And he knows that among those who are invited, none of them are perfect. So perfection is not the prerequisite to gain entry to the Lord's banqueting table. Now I want you to notice what the result is. To come to this this banquet, the one who accepts the invitation, it says there in verse 6, forsake your folly and live. Turn off the road, come into the driveway, pull up to the table, and you will live. He says the naive, the one without understanding, he says you can find life here. In other words, anything's possible. You might come to Jesus with all sorts of baggage, with a horrific past, Or maybe you've heard these things over and over again and you've neglected and you've rejected him over and over again. You might have all sorts of regrets. You might have a bad reputation. There might be very little hope that you will amount to anything. But for the one who pulls up a chair to Jesus' table, anything's possible. Jesus' invitation in verses 4 through 6 make it clear that everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible at Jesus' table. Even you can find life with Jesus. Same invitation we extend as a church. Everybody's welcome because we recognize nobody's perfect. And with Jesus, we believe anything's possible. So everybody's welcome. Now I want you to notice here what else is included in this invitation. Verse 6 says, forsake your folly and live. 
Accepting the invitation entails some sort of repentance, turning, to forsake folly, to turn off that path and turn onto a different path. And I, I want to be clear here, because it's not just turning from sin. I think that's what we think about. The repentance is just me, I have to turn from sin. And the truth is, if you have to turn from sin, I have really failed in that way. Because in walking with Jesus, I still hear the voice of the temptress. I still walk across the street to satisfy, you know, to make myself feel good in all kinds of different ways by telling people what I think about them, by harboring some sort of grudge, by wasting the resources I've been given. So it's not just turning from sin, it's turning to Jesus. That's what's happening here. He's saying, you know, forsake your folly, turn to Jesus and live. And he writes, proceed in the way of understanding. So it's walking with Jesus. And what I know to be true is this. Jesus is still calling today. He is saying, turn in. Turn in here. Pull up a chair. And the stakes are high. Um, He says, he connects it with life. In other words, life and death is on the line. And you can find life with Jesus. But to reject the invitation is to reject life. When Jesus was walking the, world, uh, walking the earth, he told a story uh, to illustrate what it's like when an invitation is extended by him, you know, to come find life and how people respond to that. In fact, how they come up with excuses. It's found in uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 16, it says, But he said to him, um, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land. i got to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, well, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to have to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I married a wife. (laughs) And for that reason, can't come to the banquet. Jesus is extending an invitation today. Oh, what's your excuse? Ah, i got to think it through. Maybe later. I've got other things I want to do before I do that. I've got more time. I'll take care of that at a different moment. You know, it's dangerous to reject the Lord's invitation. In fact, in verse 24, Jesus says as a part of that story, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. The application today is to accept Jesus's invitation. Turn down his driveway. When you come to Jesus, the real you Not just you trying to clean yourself up. The real you, all the baggage, all the complicated issues, not only will you become wise, you'll find life. Eternal life. Find life in Jesus today. So everybody's invited. But remember, there's this little part in the middle of the chapter that talks about the rejection of the scoffer. So how is everybody invited? What's happening here? So let's look at the rejection of scoffers, verses 7 through 12. When you read uh, verses 7 through uh, 9... It reads a lot like the rest of the book of Proverbs. Short, pithy statement, applicable in, uh, you know, uh, different settings, different moments. Because there's this wise saying here. This is what it is. The wise saying is, don't correct a scoffer, because in the end you'll get hurt and you'll be hated. Rather, correct a wise man, because he'll get wiser and he'll love you for it. Now, I'm sure we could kind of take that text and we could apply it in all kinds of different ways, right? We could say, well... That's why I don't need to talk to them about Jesus, because they're just a scoffer. They'll just reject. Or we try to figure out what the categories are there. But I'm going to tell you what I think the best application to this is. It's to start looking at yourself and say, am I the scoffer? The scoffer 
is the one who is never open to correction. It's the person who has it all figured out, has no need for wisdom from you or from God. And what, what we realize is that belief determines behavior. So a scoffer, one who feels like I've got no need for correction from God, is not going to sit at wisdom's table. Because to sit there would mean I have something to learn that I can't figure out my own. And the flip side of that is your behavior reveals what you believe. So the scoffer is ultimately not invited because the scoffer will not come. Scoffer, mocker, the one who thinks they have it all figured out. Now, are you the scoffer? Maybe ask yourself, do I get angry when I'm corrected? That reveals the posture of your heart. It's not just a personality problem. That's how we write it off today. Well, that's just how I am. I, let me tell you about my personality type. If that's how you respond, it's a heart issue. There's something up between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you need to start there. And you need to figure out, how do I humble myself before the Lord in order to allow him to freely correct me? Because I don't want to be the scoffer. What becomes clear in the text is the scoffer's rejected because the scoffer rejects the Lord. And we're reminded once again in the text that wisdom begins with the Lord. We have the theme here of the whole text in, verses, uh, in verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, I think first we have to begin, as I said weeks ago, is who's the Lord? Who are we talking about here? Who is he? Well, he is Yahweh. He's the one who sits above the circle of the earth, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, the one who spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, he who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. That's who the Lord is. So to fear the Lord is to fear Yahweh, that God, the one who has no equal. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes, look to the heavens, who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. That's who Yahweh is. That's who we are to fear. And to fear the Lord is not to live in terror of him. Now, we recognize he has all power. He could crush us in any moment. But that's not the fear that's spoken of here in Proverbs, uh, in the book of Proverbs, or specifically in Proverbs 9. The best understanding of this fear is reverential love. It's to live in awe of the Lord. It's to respect the Lord. It's to be devoted to the Lord. He is all-powerful. And I fear him, but my fear is actually rooted not in his power, but in his grace. John Newton wrote that incredible lyric, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." See, I live in awe of a God who should demand total obedience from anybody that comes before him. But I recognize he comes to me in my weakness, he covers my shortcomings, that I might be in relationship with him. So to fear, to live in awe of that God is the beginning of a life of wisdom. I see how he can love me even in the midst of my mess. And verse 11 spells out the benefit. Days multiplied, years added. Now, it seems that it would be really easy for us to respond favorably to the invitation from Lady Wisdom. But we find out she's not the only one issuing the invite here. Look with me, finally, at Folly's Banquet. There in front of the house on the other side of the street, this loud, seductive, ignorant, lazy woman. Uh, the text describes her as naive and she knows nothing. But don't be fooled here. 
She is not dumb. She is very effective. She is very enticing. She's a smooth operator because the truth is she's the enemy of your soul. A wolf in sheep's clothing. She knows how to draw us in. So the invitation she extends is the same one wisdom offers. Whoever, whoever is naive, let him turn in. But the offer is not the same. It's not some banquet with this incredible food. It's stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. There is something conspiratorial happening here. Something illicit. Something clearly wrong. Now this stolen water alludes to the cisterns that we read about in Proverbs 5. It's suggesting some sort of illicit sexual activity. Some sort of pleasure that's wrong that we seek out in wrong ways. Now taken at face value... It sounds like only the most deviant and wicked would accept that invitation. They're like, I can't think of anybody who would say yes to that. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know stolen water is sweet to us too for a little while. But it will not satisfy. Our corrupt hearts are drawn to what is evil. I mean, we wish it weren't so. But that's the old me. That's the bias that I was born with. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I am, I'm the loser. I may be the scoffer here because I've shown up at Folly's doorway more than once, more than once in the past week. I'm the scoffer because I put what I want to do ahead of what I know God believes is best for uh, for me. I, I just try to satisfy my appetites. I hold on to the grudges. I waste the resources. I just want to be lazy. I want to think about myself and never consider consequences. And I do that over and over and over again. I make provision for sin in my life. I, I carve out opportunities for me to step into temptation. Make sure that nobody knows about it or the only people that know about it are those who would affirm it or say it's okay. And I reject wisdom's invitation on the regular to pull up a chair and dine with Jesus. Let me say to you, to the household of faith, if you have placed saving faith in Jesus and you think Jesus sees you as a liability and as a loser and some sort of tag along, you've got the wrong idea of how Jesus sees you. He sees you as his child. Hebrews says he deals with us as sons. Book of Matthew says that when Jesus, at one point he points to his disciples, reaches out his arms and says, these are my brothers. Well, let me tell you, They were a mess. They were disasters. They were failures. He sees them as brothers. Temptation, though, is alluring. So as believers in Jesus Christ, when you find yourself drawn to folly over and over again, what am I to do? I remind myself what I know to be true. Jesus loves me. He loves the real me. And he welcomes me to himself. Jesus lived the perfect life. He rejected folly at every turn. He died a death he didn't earn in order to pay a penalty that we deserved. And if you simply believe this by faith, that he loves you and that he died for you, you get all of his perfection. He takes away all of the guilt. He wraps you in all of his righteousness. He cancels out all the debt. He lifts every burden. And reverential love for that kind of grace plants seeds in your heart that will grow up so that you can start doing the wise thing by the power of the Spirit when the opportunity presents itself. See, because you don't have the strength of character yourself to do what's right or to reject what's wrong. But Jesus within you does. A life yielded to him is a life 
that will keep you at the table of wisdom. We discover at the end of the chapter that folly is not inviting you to a feast. Folly is inviting you to your funeral. If you are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've put it off, or you've thought, I can figure this out on my own, or I can live in a way that that's not going to hurt me, or I can balance things off in the end so God will say things that I'm okay, I just want to say to you, you are walking down the path to Folly's door. You have sat down the table, and you have no clue that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. And it may lead to bad consequences in this life, but if I'm honest with you, it's going to lead you to hell. The depths of Sheol. Folly leads to death. Choose life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, we thank you that you love us. You love us more than we could ever comprehend. That you draw us to yourselves, to yourself. And you give us the opportunity of salvation. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it. But by your grace. Faith and your finished work on the cross, Jesus, is what saves us. Lord, I pray for every person here. Father, as we come to this time of invitation, that if you're speaking to their heart, they'd say yes to you. They would take opportunity to yield themselves to you, to accept the invitation, to receive Jesus and live. Bless now this time of response. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our choir is going to sing. Perhaps you've got a decision to make. Maybe you need to turn down the road towards Jesus. If you do and you want to make that public today, I'm going to be standing right down front. You can come talk to me. So you can make a decision to trust Jesus today. Let me invite you to stand as our choir sings, you respond.